Hello, Marvelites are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 612. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Angelique Rocher. Yo, Ryan. Mm, 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 mm. Here we are, again, on the official Marvel podcast, where we get to talk about all things, all the things happening this week in Marvel. And there's so much happening we are also going to be talking to Marvel Stormbreaker and Black Panther artist Chris Allen later in the show. Here's a little taste. This medium, it doesn't matter how old or young you are. It doesn't matter who you love. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter where on the world you're born on, born from. It doesn't even matter if you're born on Earth. It doesn't matter. <laughs> we come together to go on great adventures. And when I met my group of Stormbreakers... I felt that adventure more than I had at any point in my life. Ah, uh, that interview is so good. You're not going to want to miss best. it. Um, you can hear the full interview in just a bit, though. Yeah. But Angelique, San Diego Comic-Con is here. It is time. It is real. It is happening. By the time you hear this episode, wonderful friends, I will have already hosted the X-Men slash This Week in Marvel panel, which had a surprise just for folks in the room. I'm being very vague because anything can happen and all plans could change at the very last minute, but <laughs> it, was, it was a real cool panel. I had a lot of fun but stuff you, in but there. But you know what's not going to change? What's that? Your love of MODOK. I know. Uh, our friend, 100% Soft Truck, uh, he brought some exclusive merch to Comic-Con, including a MODOK pin. So, you know, I went and bought that. Uh, I gave away and will continue to give away a ton of Marvel Move swag. There's so much going on. Look, there's still time to get hyped about San Diego Comic-Con, whether you're there with me or not. With me at home. Yeah. Watching the live broadcast. Hmm. Where can they watch that? They can watch the live broadcast on all of the Marvel channels, but specifically going to marvel.com slash SDCC. Uh, but also make sure you're following the Twitter, the Instagram, the YouTube. We're in a lot of places, but like yes. seriously, we're even on Twitch. Uh, so make sure you're following at Marvel on all of those because there's going to be, obviously there's going to be the broadcast, but there's going to be videos of some of the panels at the convention along with news, photos, and so much more. Again, that's marvel.com slash SDCC. So make sure you're following along. Make sure we want to hear your thoughts. We want to hear your excitement. Um, and, you know, the hosts there are definitely going to want to hear it so make sure you're uh putting on your comments and your photos definitely your cosplay uh at hashtag marvel sdcc and if you're about to head to the con of course you know make sure you go see ryan Pinagos. yeah marvel booth is number 2329 the official marvel store is booth 2519 we got tons uh, of merch including the very ryan you posted mm -hmm. you posted you posted the elusive merch I know. Uh, we got tees, pins, pins spins, so spins, many pins, spins, spins, nice spins, fanny spins. pack, cool pillow. Uh, there's just a ton of stuff there. And it's great. There's also like bonus stuff if you're a Marvel Unlimited Plus subscriber and various different things. Like you can get extra stuff for being a Marvel Insider, all that good stuff. 
there. And, you know, we mentioned the panels. Yep. We should be able to put the panels up on our YouTube and marvel.com slash SDCC, at least versions of those panels in video form about 24 hours after they happen. So check those places for those. Um, but the panels are going to be great. Each day we'll have news, reveals, surprises, particularly for people in the room. Um, and we're going to cover all of that stuff in next week's show because I don't want to say anything that because like I have a full list right in front of me of all the things we're announcing and all the things we're talking about. And you I am not spoiling those and all, all the secrets, the all the secrets. I don't know how you do it, man. I suck at that stuff. I would tell y'all everything. No, I wouldn't tell y'all anything. I'm just making yeah. Ryan feel bad. Yeah, you're not going to tell anything. You like <laughs> keeping tell your you job. Nothing. In the meantime, for those of us who are not going to be in San Diego, um, but also those who are going to be in San Diego, because this is a really big announcement, Ms. Marvel returns this summer. That's right, Ms. Marvel, the new mutant. Oh, my God. It's, yo, the design is so beautiful. Uh, Ryan put it up on his Twitter the other day, and I stopped in my tracks because Ms. Marvel, the new mutant comic book series, a.k.a. don't call it a Kamala back. You like that? What about the other so one? So good. Come on. I like, I, I, I ah, why are you like this? Because I knew you were going to get a kick out of it. <laughs> oh, don't call man. it a Kamala back. And then you don't just imagine call it LL a Kamala cool back. Oh, don't call it a Kamala back. Oh my God. Now I just see Kamala in her like new mutants, like with a Kango on oh. and like one leg pulled up. It's great. Uh, all right. Let's get us back on track to talk about Ms. Marvel, the new mutant, because we've got a new comic book series co-written by Marvel Studios, Ms. Marvel star, Iman Vellani. And yes. And one of the writers of Marvel Studios, Ms. Marvel, Saber Prezada, who's also been writing some really great comics. He wrote a uh, Ms. Marvel comic during Dark yep. Web and has been writing the Cult of Carnage Misery series, which has been really flipping good. And the book also, as you mentioned, Angelique, has a new costume design created by, uh, of course, sweet boy, friend of the show, Jamie McKelvey, who uh, like, outdid you know, himself. Outdid yeah. Himself. Obviously, we know Kamala Khan as an inhuman, a champion, an Avenger, but now we're going to know her as an X Man. Uh, I'm trying to dance around things. One of the most important things that you know is out there is that like, we're she's still an inhuman, but she's also a mutant. How and why and what? Maybe we'll read the comics and find out. I want to. All right. Well, if you're like me right now, going, huh? What? How? Why, uh, Miss Marvel, the new mutant number one, one or four, written by Iman Vellani and Sabir Prezada, uh, art by Carlos Gomez and Adam Gorham, cover art by the Sarah Pacelli, uh, variant cover art by Stanley Art Germ Lou. It is on sale August 3rd if you have time. Go put it on your pull list. Go subscribe. Get it. Angelique, the secret invasion has been revealed. Um, oh, I mean, yes. Well, We'll get to that, but this week is episode five of Marvel Secret Invasion, and yes. it's a it's a great one. Um, so definitely check that out. But for comics fans, maybe something even cooler. Did you get to check out the massive oral history article on the history of the original Secret Invasion comics? Because this year it's fifteenth anniversary of the series. Also, kudos for you for saying all those words flawlessly, uh, Ryan. Are you truly Ryan Panagos, or are you a scroll? Yes. 
Cool. So our pal and Marvel.com editor Megan Demore probably has that answer, uh, but she also <laughs> put together a massive retrospective straight from the mouths of the folks behind the scenes. Megan interviewed Brian Michael Bendis, Laniel Francis Yu, Tom Brevoort, Dan Buckley, Ben Morris, and of course, and I'm sure you know, Ryan Panagos. Yeah. Uh, of, of course, you got the writer, the artist, the editor, the president, Ben, former host of This Week in Marvel, but he did a lot of stuff in the marketing, mm-hmm. the publicity. If you haven't read this, please check it out. Uh, we'll put the link, the URL in our show notes. It's a big, meaty read. And it's it's really cool. Uh, also, for those who love the Guardians of the Galaxy, like I love the Guardians of the Galaxy, take one last ride with the Guardians of the Galaxy on August 2nd. That's right. Marvel Studios Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 comes exclusively to Disney Plus on August 2nd. So if you're anything like me, get ready for your own Marvel Studios Guardians of the Galaxy movie marathon because Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is going to be joining the other two films of the trilogy on Disney+. Plus. Get ready. Get your popcorn. Grab your flurkins. Now, I also wanted to point out that everybody out there listening, you have less than a week to join the Marvel Move Founders Club. Uh, Marvel Move is a new project that I am overseeing, which combines Marvel characters and storytelling with interactive-ish audio and fitness. It is very cool. And you have less than a week to join our Founders Club, which saves you 30% on two years of Marvel Move Stories, plus access to special Q&A live streams that were happening. I will be on all three of our Q&A live streams that we're doing over the next month and a half or so. Um, And so those are going to be really cool. Then you're also getting a special trophy that will be in the app just for you. Plus, potentially, you'll get to check out the beta test that we're doing very soon if you are a member of our Founders Club. You want all the details, head over to marvelmove.app to sign up. Check it out. All right. So uh, speaking of amazing things, uh, Marvel Comics presents The Death of Moon Knight. So I love this because The Last Days of Moon Knight is a new story arc with dramatic repercussions in Jen McKay and Alessandro Capuccio's run. And it kicks off uh, October's Moon Knight number 28. Uh, So in issue 28, uh, it's like the culmination of Moon Knight's current era and the beginning of his next chapter. And where they're going with it is wild. I can't wait. Can't wait for everyone to check it out. Announced this week is Cap Wolf and the Howling Commandos, which looks so flippin' cool with a gorgeous cover by Ryan Brown. It is going to be written by Stephanie Phillips, who's been doing some really cool stuff for us, and art by Carlos Magno. And it's basically Cap and the Howling Commandos on a World War II mission, but also you're going to have werewolves in Eastern Prussia, and it's going to be something cool. I We love Cap Wolf here. Big fans. If you've I mean, never read the original Cap Wolf story. You should by, go do it. Yeah, by uh, Mark Grunewald. Go check it out. We highlighted it a couple years ago on Marvel's yep. pull list. It's a banger. It, yeah. It's fun. 
so of course we we no longer have Marvel's pull list show, but as we talked about last week, uh, we are bringing some of that comic discussion here. Thank you to all the people who keep emailing us and sending us messages about Marvel's pull list. Hopefully you've joined us here on Twim. And so this week's Marvel comics picks a little bit of pull list on Twim. Uh, I've got three, and I sent them to you, Angelique, to to make sure you could check them out too. These are books released July 19, 2023. First up, Blade Number One by Brian Hill, Elena Casagrande, Jordi Belair, and VCs Joe Sabino. This is the coolest blade. This is like talking about <laughs> dudes ice skating uphill. That kind of blade. I didn't curse, but I really wanted like that's the blade you're getting in. Can we this just bleep book. us out? Because I feel like you didn't give that line. <laughs> I I can't even do it right because I'm not that. I was cool. trying to ice skate uphill, so you got to do it that way. <laughs> so good. And, and so that's the kind of vibe that Brian is bringing to his blade here. But then you're also getting Elena Casagrande and Jordi Belair, who work together on the really, really great Black Widow series together. Yep. Perfection. It has got energy and kineticism and it's violent as get out. It's got a new villain who is creepy. It is a beautiful, wonderful launch of a book. And if you are ready for some good blade, it is here. You can tell that Brian Hill loves yes. Blade. Yeah. Uh, all right. Second pick of the week is Extreme Venomverse number one. This is a jam-packed four-story anthology issue. So it's all stuff about different versions of Venom. So one, there's a bunch of Jeff the Landshark variants. So y'all better get your hands on those. They're so good. They're wonderful there. But the stories include a Kelly Thompson Gurihiru Jeff the Landshark story where Jeff gets a Venom symbiote and it is every bit as delightful as you want it to be. That's yeah. so good. Then you get the debut of Major League Venom in Field of Screams, which cracked me up. It is by two of my friends, writer Jordan Bloom and uh, artist Brian Crosby. Brian Crosby, maybe you know if you've been to a Marvel convention in the last like 10 years, Brian is there, but he's also a great artist. Uh, he was a former Imagineer. But he's also a huge baseball fan, which huge is like perfect. Fan. Yeah. So it was really... I delighted in seeing my two boys put this together that was really good then there's king pain in spider's eclipse by jason lowe and gavin gidry which is really really cool and it's got a kingpin with the symbiote and carnage is in there and a peter parker who's a member of the fantastic four oh, i really dug that one uh, and then there's the fourth story, which is called Mobile Walker Venom in full symbiote panic and this is cody ziggler getting to live out his like Gundam mech whatever vibes for uh, Venom and it's like got kaiju and it is yes. it rules art by Jim Toe the, like every one of these stories is a banger in their own way it is really yeah. good it was oh, very well done it. shout out mm -hmm. to the editors on this on giving people the space to really go and like do their thing because if you know each and every one of these writers and these artists this leaned into their strengths like nobody's business Hell yeah. And then third pick of the week is Guardians of the Galaxy number four, which I know you are super into, Angelique. And it is, oh it's, it's an issue focused on Rocket and like how he's dealing with Groot Fall and his best friend and all this other stuff. But man, spectacular stuff. You had me at Colin and Jackson. Like, to be honest, <laughs> like Colin and Jackson should know every time their name is attached to anything. I'm like, I'll read it. It great. Yeah. Is it uh, is it for people younger than me? I'll read it. Colin and Jackson wrote it. Um, no, it's just this almost like love story between Rocket Raccoon and Groot. This platonic like love that happens and seeing it in this new this new aspect where you can like feel 
Rocket's like guilt <laughs> screaming off the page at you, but also Jeff the Land Shark in this variant cover. Oh, it's a beautiful, beautiful cover. All right, real quick, a couple of quick hits and special mentions for comics coming that came out this week. Alien number four is one of the most intense books around. It feels like you're watching Alien or Aliens in the best ways possible. Uh, we got the Marvel Comics debut of Scarlet Scarab in Moon Knight City of the Dead number one. So we saw Layla last week. So now she's in the full Scarlet Scarab outfit this Ooh, week. Oh, yes. Uh, one of my best friends, Alex Segura, writes a really great spy and war story in the Star Wars Return of the Jedi Rebellion one shot and it was so good I like I was like oh this has got to be a Charles Soul joint and like he's doing a great job and I got to the end it was Alex and I was like oh you ding dong so good I love it um and then <laughs> X-Men Red number 13 is like the beginning of a giant war and also the last issue of any X-Men book before we get to the Hellfire Gala it rules get ready yeah it's going to be a stupendous one and next week there are 26 comics on sale, so... 26. 26 comics from us on sale. Get ready. I'm going to say no more because we got to get going to our chat with artist Chris Allen, who is currently working on the newest Black Panther series. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to This Week in Marvel, and I'm Ryan Panagos. And I'm Anjali Crochet. And we are just having a good time <laughs> here, uh, especially going to have an extra good time because you're going to hear our conversation with Chris Allen. Uh, okay, first of all, what a delight of a human mm -hmm. being. Avid comic book lover. He's part of the latest class of Marvel Stormbreakers. Uh, for those who don't know, that's a program that spots all of the best up-and-coming artists in the comic book industry, and so much incredible work. Uh, his work with Marvel includes Miles Morales, X-Force, uh, Scarlet Witch, Marvel's Voices, whoop, whoop, and now the brand-new ongoing Blank Panther with writer Eve L. Ewing. Man, issue one and issue two are out right now, and they are so good. Mm -hmm. Let's get into it with Chris right now. Ryan and I are talking to artist Chris Allen, who is the artist on the brand new ongoing series of Black Panther written by the Eve Ewing. Um, this new design for T'Challa is absolutely amazing. To me, it states that you have such a value for this and you are clearly a long, lifelong comic book fan. Yes and yes. This is a celebratory moment, not only for me, but Eve Ewing is writing Black Panther. <laughs> like Eve Ewing, Ironheart Eve Ewing, champions Eve Ewing is writing Black Panther. First woman to write this book. Yep. She is the first Black woman to ever write an ongoing Black Panther series in the history of Black Panther. And in fact, the first woman. Yes. Yeah, that's wonderful stuff. Obviously... Chris, you're you're a Marvel head. You're wearing a Deadpool shirt. You're you're living and breathing Marvel. But what's your Marvel origin story? How'd you first, you know, become a Marvel fan? Way, way, way back when, when you know, five, six years ago, when you were a little kid. Right. Exactly. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Right. Why haven't you and I have been friends before? That's what I'm saying. Exactly. It's kind of actually a Marvel origin story. Um, my mother, uh was in medical school and she had three little kids. My father was in the army 
she had three little kids that she had to take around with her to uh to the labs so and you know they have to do the labs on the weekends they have to do the labs you know during the week and so what she would do is um she would buy comic books and her favorite comic book was the fantastic four but our favorite comic book was spider-man and so what she would do is she would buy like a bunch of spider-man comics old spider-man comics not old for like that time like it was like it was like 78, 79, and like we were like, uh, and the comics were like from 75 or 76. And we would sit in front of the giant glass window in the lab, and we would just trace the pages. And that's how like, that's how like my journey with Marvel started was just at the window, drawing those pages. And then we would take that home with us. And on the weekends that we were home, we lived in a very, very old house, one of those old Southern houses that uh, used to be like a sharecropper house. Um, it was passed down from my great-grandmother to my grandmother to my dad and um, no longer stands anymore, but it had those old grand screens on it, those big screens where the sun would just like pour through. And so you would put the comic book on the screen and then you put the paper over it and you would just spend all day uh, <laughs> listening to cartoons, watching cartoons, tracing, and uh, fighting over, like, the chocolatey cereal because there was only one box. <laughs> Three kids. Oh, man. I love that. So for you, what was it about comics, and how did you first get your foot in that door? When it comes to professional comics, my path in that started in, like, my junior or senior year of high school. I had an art teacher named Mrs. Pranky. I want to make sure to give her her flowers, who saw that I was not completing the assignments in art class. And I was spending a lot of time drawing superheroes. And there was another group of students. And um, she was going to introduce them to a local comic book publisher named Bill Black, who still runs his company. And um, she was going to introduce them to him. And she, she noticed that all I was doing was drawing superheroes all day in class. And she said, look, I'm going to let you go with this group to meet Bill Black. And anything that you draw for him, you can get credit for in my class. So I went from not doing so good in art class to, to being an A-plus student because the teacher saw that I clearly had a passion for this particular type of art and I wasn't interested in doing the things that other kids did, like still lives and like and stuff like that. I, I wasn't interested. I wanted to draw... Um, Mojo. I wanted to draw, you know, like Shadowcat. I wanted to draw Spider-Man. You know, I even wanted to draw like, uh, like Pace Pop Pete. It doesn't matter. I, I, I wanted oh, yeah. to draw comics. So the minute I met Bill Black, I just kind of stapled myself to him. And I, I just, out of high school, I, um, I apprenticed with them for several years. Wow. Now that you've mentioned Pace Pot Pete, you and Ryan Panagos are going to be best <laughs> friends for the rest of your lives. Love Pace Pot like, Pete. You, you, you don't Stress. know what you've done. <laughs> uh, I feel like we need to see Marvel Stormbreakers draw some of those classic characters because you, Chris, are part of the latest class of Marvel Stormbreakers. Yes. Tell us a little bit about what that means, how you found out you were selected, and like what this year has been like so far. So I had been doing a gigs here and there and um, Ricky Purden, the uh, the talent coordinator 
at Marvel would send me emails saying like, people are talking about you, like they're excited about your art. I'm like, ah, I don't believe you. And um, and he's like, no, it's serious, it's real. And then he sends me an email saying, look, I want you to take some time to think about this, but Marvel has this initiative that's called Storm. Yes. Yes, I want to do that. Yes. <laughs> you didn't uh, even get through. You didn't even get through the word. You're like initiative, Marvel, I'm there. I was I was reading an email and I just like spoke the way like, yes, yes. The giants of comics like come up through that initiative. And this class is no different. This is an amazing class of people of all walks of life, all ages. Frederico is uh is is a very young guy. I am in my fifties. You know, it and this is the beauty of comics, is like is like you are who you are on the page. For the people who read comics, that's where your identity like really starts. And there is this transcendence with the comic art community, this kind of like brother and sisterhood transcendence. And you meet these people and like sometimes they match their artwork and sometimes they don't. And it's just like this beautiful experience. And it's very much the same with Stormbreakers where like we just had a, a convention in the Netherlands where we all got to meet each other for the first time. And it was this, this beautiful moment where like you walked up and you just saw like the world. You saw like men and women and people from all walks of life and all places. And they're from all around the world. When I saw that group of people, I felt the weight of my journey through comics in the faces of this incredibly beautiful, diverse group. And I think that this is what I'm trying to say, how much this medium, how universal this medium is, how much it is for everyone. It doesn't matter how old or young you are. It doesn't matter who you love. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter where on the world you're born, on, born from. It doesn't even matter if you're born on earth. It doesn't matter. <laughs> we come together to go on great adventures. And when I met my group of Stormbreakers, I felt that adventure more than I had at any point in my life. It's beautiful. And, and the thing is, we, we can see that through the art, right? Like, I know we've all really enjoyed seeing the Stormbreakers do, obviously, the work in, in the comics, but also um, the theme variants that have come through, the animals variants, which recently <laughs> were revealed, are amazing. It, and I, I gotta say, all of the work that you've been doing, like the Black Panther work you've been doing, you know, for you, these variants... Um, in particular, do you have some favorites? Because I, what people, I think what people don't understand about variants is like it's kind of sometimes you start off with an idea, and sometimes it's like go, and you get this opportunity to really have a little fun. So for you, do you have a favorite Stormbreaker variant? It doesn't have to be yours. So, so the last Stormbreakers cover that I did, this is the one I wanted. The last one I turned in was uh, an Ironheart cover, Ironheart and Captain America. Uh, they're celebrating Captain America's anniversary. And uh, I picked Ironheart because she is currently my favorite superhero. I, I-, I love teen superheroes. I love the fact that it's very uh, difficult to make them cynical. Uh, they're, they're optimistic characters. And uh, a character like Ironheart is just like the embodiment of like that optimism and that forward thinking and like that push towards the future. 
and that she's starting in one place, but this is a character that could become anything she wants to become. It, it, her journey is just beginning, and like there's an excitement with that for me. Chris, I love the fact that you brought up Ironheart, right? And I love that Ironheart is your favorite because I also am a huge fan of what Eve Ewing was able to do for that character's personal, mental character development, right? Where, like, Ironheart dealt with her background story and it made her a stronger superhero. And, you know, now you're paired up with, and I love saying this, award-winning writer Dr. Eve Ewing um, on the newest Black Panther series. So how did it come about? There's so much there. Comics has a certain rhythm in its classic form where it's just go, 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 go. You know, you, 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 you're sitting around, you're having, a, you're having a bagel or a slice of pizza, and then, like, somebody comes down from the sky and you have to, like, the mystery unfolds. Eve Ewing is a very, very different type of writer, and I'm so glad you brought up her, her journey with Ironheart because Black Panther is very similar to this. Eve Ewing is interested, because Eve Ewing is a sociologist, Eve Ewing is interested in the world in which these characters exist, that the world gives them weight and that their journey has has as much to do with the world in which they navigate and the people who they encounter and how they live in that world as it does with the adventure that they're on, that the, that the world is part of the adventure. Like New York City is integral to Spider-Man, like Castle Von Doom is integral to Doctor Doom. But more than that, she she creates like a very very like real rhythm to these places that is very very beautiful and the characters that she creates are characters that aren't just like side characters they're characters that exist in that space that are part of that space she creates communities for these characters to live in and the characters grow in that community and that is for Eve and all the books that I've read that she's done that community to her appears to be as much an adventure as the adventure. And it gives those characters like a lot of weight and a lot of shadow. And there's a lot of texture to it. And I know that, you know, I can only presume that comes from her love of Chicago and understanding how Chicago molds folks, how, why Chicago is so important to the community. And even as the, the, the series starts, we see him in the community. We meet new characters immediately from the jump because Wakanda is not just a background. The city is not just a background. Um, We start, we see another city, right? And so for you in developing out, and I kind of want to jump back, how have you work together on this process um, in building this out? So we have uh, a couple of uh, superstar editors with uh, Will Moss and uh, Michelle Marchese. So, so, so Will and Michelle are very interested in collaboration and they're very interested in the collaborative process, which is excellent for us and for what we do. And so this was a collaborative effort from the jump. This was a, a place where they created a space where we could discuss what we both wanted out of the project. Eve had her story and I had like, I really, I really want to draw this. 
And and Eve already does not disappoint. Like as much as she's interested in building the worlds and building communities and, and, and in showing the lives of ordinary people, she is also interested in like, you know, like explosions. So <laughs> she knows exactly where to put these characters. There is a character that appears at the end of the first issue and she does a fantastic job of teasing out what she's going to do with it. And um, we have just completed, uh, I will, let's just say, um, the culmination of the first part of that character's arc. Well, let's just put it out. Let's just say that. No spoilers. He's very just... good at secrets, right? Yeah, well done. I, I, I want to bring in sort of like the, the thought that, a bunch of the thoughts you've been talking about because you're talking about characters and talking about Eve's work on communities and places and you getting to really develop the visual identity of Burning T'Chaka, which is super cool. Like, tell us a little bit about, about that, doing that. And then I want to, we do really want to hear about the new costume for T'Challa. And also for folks who have read number two, by the time this is out, T'Challa's, uh, his like new other new costume. If you Yeah. So, the city was interesting. Um, Eve had a lot of descriptors, but but she was really, really good about keeping it open. And also, and this is important, the way that collaboration is really encouraged at Marvel, that, that in, in my experience, where she was very, very open and Will and Michelle were very, very open to my vision of what Eve was saying. So Eve was saying that she wanted something that was kind of like, uh, like Detroit, by way of like um, an old Soviet city, hmm. which, wow. which I love. But, and I also had an idea. And my idea was that this city would be partially underground. So that part of the city, so that this was basically like built on like an old mine that was like, had like vibranium and a couple of other elements in that mine. And that the city grew up from underground and so the above part of the city is a little bit more Wakanda, but still a little bit more like an old Soviet Detroit-style city. But the underground is what I envisioned was like Hong Kong and Lagos, like yeah. combined together. Mm. And so when you're underground, you look up, there's a whole bunch of pipes and like electrical lines and subways and stuff like that. And so... That's a really exciting space for me uh, that we play with a little bit and we'll play with more as the series progresses. But yeah, so so I like the fact that Burning T'Chaka is such a contrast to the capital city. When I think of Wakanda, I think of the way the Stelfreeze drew it. You know, these, these like beautiful, you know, like buildings that have all these interesting shapes like built into them. It's very sleek and and it does not look like any other city on Earth but somehow it looks like a very lived-in place. I wanted that with Burning T'Chaka, but I wanted it to be a little bit more Blade Runner, like a little bit more like like desperate, dark alleys. And in keeping with Wakanda, the roads have like uh, electric lines running through them. So like you can drive electric vehicles, but these are walkable cities. These are walkable places. You, most people are just like pedestrians. So that was my take on what Eve wanted to do and uh, she's been totally open to that and um the way she crafts her stories and the way that she crafts her descriptions are very they're not open to interpretation but they but they allow collaboration this is such a rich environment and this is like wakanda's new york this is a place that has superheroes in it 
It has mad scientists and crime lords and all those things. So, like, I'm excited for this place because this place has the ability not just to change Black Panther, but to change Marvel Comics in creating a place that operates like New York. And we have just scratched the surface. Yeah. Uh, I love hearing about Bernice Chaka, but we gotta hear about the costume because the design is so good. Angelique and I were talking about it recently about how he's got the little cape. I love the asymmetrical aspects to the look. Um, tell us how you landed on on the current Black Panther look. And then a little bit about Ize, the, uh, the, the, the sort of vibe we get in issue two. So right out of the gate, Will and Michelle let, let me know that like Black Panther needed a new costume. So I'm like, okay, well, let me know what the design is going to be. And like, we'll work it. And like, no, 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 you, you're doing this. <laughs> and I was like, really? <laughs> I have ideas. So here's what I did. I created three of the most ridiculous designs for this character. Designs that I knew would not pass muster. And I sent them in not to kind of try to push the envelope, but to see what everyone would say. And I got a ton of useful information. Like, um, Will wanted a cape. He wanted uh, T'Challa to have a cape. Eve did not want a cape. But there was a, a version of the character that I drew where he just wore like a head wrap, like a desert warrior, and it draped down like a cape. And she's like, I don't like the cape idea, but I like that. So then from there, Will is like, I, I, I don't like like a lot of like the gear that you're putting on him, but I like the idea that he has gear. It, it's not just like this sleek piece of armor. And the other thing that I was interested in with this character was exploring color. Was putting color on the character because... When I think of this character and I think of the, the black that he wears, a lot of people look at it as a stealth color, but it's not. It's the color of their god. Black in Wakanda is the royal color. Hmm. It, it's, it's royalty. He's, he's royal. So he's not hiding from you. That's just the color of royalty. When he wants you to see him, you will see him. And when he doesn't, you will not. Period. <laughs> it doesn't matter if he is wearing like day glow orange. He is the king and he is well trained. And so the shield was an incredibly important part of that because I wanted to put a very colorful African motif on there that stood out and that made you see that he is not hiding from you. Were there any particular inspirations you had for that? Because it's it's absolutely gorgeous. I love the way you're bringing that up because the two things that immediately stuck out to me about the new concept, well, three, was the claws, like the actual claws that are now like prominently seen, the shield on his shoulder with the colors and the design, but also the accents on his face. And so for folks who have really been paying attention, like that feels like it's been inspired by other cultural traditions. And so I'm, I'm kind yes. of curious. So there's a couple things that, that, that just for me personally, I wanted with this character. 
I wanted you to make sure when you looked at the character that you knew that this was not vibranium armor and that this was armor that could be that, that where, where he could be hurt. So so you'll see that he has like the, the knee brace, he has elbow braces, and so because he's not wearing vibranium armor, he needs extra supports. Uh, he wears the tabby boots and and the, the claws, which look like the ninja claws, but he wears them more because he doesn't have the vibranium armor to help move him. So even though they look like they would be part of a ninja costume, they're not. They're just there just to help him move around a little bit more. The paint on his face, I really wanted to do something with the, with the African tribal facial paint. But the more I played around with it, the more I realized that like this is not something that he really can take time to do. And also, because I have such an elaborate design on the shoulder, you can't really put an elaborate design on the face. It, it, they would clash. So in my headcanon, this is just something he does as tribute to his ancestors. It's just a war paint that he puts on his face before he gets started. Because he's on a journey to find his ancestors. And I want to say one more thing about, about uh, Bernard Tichaka and about the way that I build the environment there. There's a lawyer uh, in, the, uh, in, the, in the story uh, called Nyobi, and um, he has an office. And if you look in that office, you will see that he has an ancestral shrine. That was very important for me to show that while the powerful people worship the Ibis God, the people who are there fighting for the little guy, the people who are there on the journey to discover the best parts of themselves are following the path of their ancestors. Because that's why Black Panther is in, is in Burn and Chichaka. He's in there to return back to the well of his ancestors, to be in the place where his father was born. So the echo of that was very important. And that's also why the face paint is important. Something just to say, every time I put this on, it's not just for me. It's for all the people that came before me. It's, it's also why, you know, saying that Eve Ewing is the first black woman to write Black Panther is so important. Not just for Eve, but there were people who, who, who fought. There were people who, who bled and died to make sure that we could be in this space. And by acknowledging that, by saying that I am a black creator who gets to be here in this air-conditioned room and draw my favorite superhero as a black person speaks to all of the people that came before the, and came before me and who made sure that I had the space to do this and that, that I had the ability and the right to do this. And, and, those are those are themes that that are just as important in this story. I love it, uh, Chris. Before we let you go, uh, I did I mentioned Ize the the sort of the costume that T'Challa puts on, but it's like really like he calls him a friend in a, in a way, and I really like that aspect to what that this persona means. But also, we got to talk a little bit about Bisa, uh, the other character. She's on the cover of number two. We're getting to learn a lot more about her. Uh, tell us a little bit about those designs. So let's talk about both of those characters real quick. So uh, 
I see Ize as like his connection to the community. And that's very much the way that Bisa writes him. Um, he is almost presented as a different character. And he's not, not so much a disguise, though. It, it, it's T'Challa, but it's T'Challa in his place in Burnin' T'Chaka, in, in, in this community. It's important for him to be a part of the community, a working part of the community. And when I designed the world, one of the things that I did is I wanted there to be a lot of cyborgs. Even though we meet a very famous cyborg <laughs> at the end of issue one and in issue two, I wanted there to be a lot of cyborgs, partially because this is a mining town. So there's going to be some accidents, and this is not a town, this is not a place that has the same infrastructure as, as the capital city. So oftentimes when these people are injured, they have cybernetics. And Ize is the same way. I wanted Ize to be someone who visually was someone who, who said as much about T'Challa blending into this community as it does about the other character, Faiza, who is his boss and who runs like the local restaurant, that she sees this person who has clearly been injured. He doesn't have legs. He has a, um, they're not cybernetic legs even. They're, they're just um, prosthetics. And then he has, a, he has a cybernetic eye. And that, that says a lot about the community of Burnin' T'Chaka and how like, you know, like if you're injured or if you're hurt, like they, they still take care of you. They still take you in. You still have something to do. You're still useful. And this is something that he learns about, about the place that he's in. So that design says as much about the community of Burnin' T'Chaka as it does about his need to blend in and to be part of this community. The other character, Bisa, is uh, super exciting. We get to see a lot more of her in issue two. But this is the other reason why I'm so excited about this place is because this is a costume adventurer. This is a very New York-style interaction. He's learning that Wakanda itself isn't as singular as he thought it was. There's dark corners, there's alleys, there's, a, there, there's dark places, there's shadows and lights and grays throughout this city. And there's so much for him to discover and for us to discover. And I love the way that they contrast. And for those who are from the Midwest, I think, uh, or from a working class towns or coal towns or mining towns, it's very interesting seeing you the, the addition of there is a cost for those who who do really dangerous works and how that's, you know, that's added into the technological aspect of Wakanda and how how the city is kind of formed. That's really dope. Thank you. Thank you. Love it. Uh, the the first two issues out now. Everybody go check them out. Fingers crossed we'll see some uh, cosplayers at New York Comic Con in the uh, in the new Black Panther outfit. It'll be I want it. real good. I want it. You're in charge of taking pictures, Brian. I know. I, I'm I'm terrified because I I don't want to I don't want to plots in front of everybody, but I might have to if I see one of those plots plots all over. That was artist Chris Allen. You can pick up Black Panther issues one and two right now. It is time for Community, a.k.a. This Week in Messages. Yes. So uh, before we get into our question of the week for this week, thinking about next week, we're going to have on uh, someone to talk about Rogers the Musical, which is going to be super cool. But we also... Tony, 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 Tony. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) But we will also 
be coming off of a ton of stuff from Comic-Con San Diego. So what was your favorite Marvel reveal announcement moment from Comic-Con this year? Well, can't, I can't spoil anything yet, but we'll talk about all that next week. You can tweet your answers using hashtag This Week in Marvel. Email them to twinpodcast at marvel.com or send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash This Week in Marvel. Please make sure to tell us it's okay to read Twim on the show so we can read it on the show. And you'll get a bonus shout out for me if you can manage to get Ryan Panagos, the best screenshot of Ryan Panagos at San Diego Comic-Con and why you think it is. Hmm. We'll see how that goes. All right, let's get into our question of the week. Uh, last week's question of the week was, what is your favorite Black Panther costume? Pal, friend of ours, Khalid Brooks, at Khalid Brooks one He said, the Black Panther Miles Morales variant by Boss Logic. Uh, so on the air 72 at on the air 72, my favorite character since childhood. While I love the sleek, powerful simplicity of the original Jack Kirby design, I will never forget the joy of seeing Ryan Minerding's design for Marvel Studios' Captain America Civil War. It immediately became, and remains, my favorite. Yeah, that was, it was pretty, like that moment, like you saw him like, just like jump out, like it was just the texture and the design and the fit and the Chadwick of it all. Mm. Oh, my God. I loved all of these answers, Ryan. Um, but to this date, I got to say, I'm caping ears, man. They're good. It's a, it's a great look. It's a great look. Okay, I'm, ca- I'm caping ears. I think it's, you know, if, if, if not in royal regalia, like a suit. Like, I will have to, I will have to shout out. There's a scene in Reginald Hudlin's, uh, I think, the second arc of the run where he's looking for his queen. He's in a jazz club visiting his ex-girlfriend. And he's, like, decked out in, like, 90s, early 2000s, like, glory. It's not a costume, but he does, like, look like he basically just stepped out of Boomerang. And it's quite yeah. nice. Heck yeah. And he's got his, he's got his you know, he's got his wingman, uh, Luke Cage, with him. So what what could go wrong? What could go wrong indeed? Who knows? But that's a question for another day because we're done. This episode of This Week in Marvel is produced by Cara Margaret Allison, Isabel Robertson, Jasmine Estrada, Ryan Panagos, and Angelique Roche. Our senior manager, audio production development, is Brad Barton. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. Special thanks to Chris Allen, who was a delightful interview and now Ryan Panagos' best friend. I'm Ryan. I'm Angelique. This is Marvel your universe.